0: The reading is taken from Matthew 27, verse 62, to Matthew 28, verse 10. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Jerusalem. There they will see me.
1: Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an inconvenient truth. For a lot of people, it is an inconvenient truth. But for other people, it's an incredible truth. I probably think it's a bit of both. For us who believe, it's an incredible truth. So, Heavenly Father, as we spend just a few moments reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications to our world and its implications to our life, we pray to you, God, that you would guide our minds, that you would stir our hearts, our imaginations and our spirit, and that in some way, Heavenly Father, we would have an encounter with the risen Christ throughout this service and as we meditate on your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. So going to be looking at some resurrection reactions. What's yours? So I'm just going to bump through some of these reactions of various people. Uh, First of all, we had the guards. The guards are the first people I want to draw our attention to and we know what it was like for them. Very interesting uh, what had happened here. As I said on Friday, when an angel turns up, it's horrific. It is terrifying. It is overwhelming. Angels are not the little fluttering nice things that we we sometimes see portrayed in literature. They are large, terrifying beings. And so when the angel comes down at this time of the resurrection of Jesus, it says in verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. This is... First thing in the morning, there was a violent earthquake. Then this angel turns up, uh, terrifying in appearance, white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. These people were posted. There were sufficient guards there to repel any assault by the 12 disciples. So they had been placed there. A chief priest had gone to Pilate, had a guard placed there. So they were ready. They were ready for a fight. They were ready for the attack of 12 people. They had enough firepower and enough strength to repel them. So these battle-hardened soldiers were there. But when this angel turned up, a violent earthquake, the angel rolls back the stone, sits on it and terrifies the guards. And the Bible says they shook with fear and became like dead men. Then with their tail between their legs, they ran off and reported, Uh, to the chief priests. Uh, While the women were on the way, the guards, it says in verse 11, I'm just going to continue the narrative on. The guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. So the guards knew and the chief priests knew that Jesus had resurrected. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Uh, If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed, and the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So there they were. They went. They accepted a bribe. But they had to live with a disconnect from that time on. They knew that Jesus Christ was alive. They had an encounter with a celestial being. They had experienced an earthquake. And yet they lived with a disconnect that, in fact, Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. But they had decided to keep their lives ongoing and apart. They lived alive from that day on. I just wonder what it would have been like when the story of Jesus came up and if you were one of the guards, if people were talking and discussing about Jesus and you, you sat there in the midst of this discussion saying to yourself as people were talking, I know what happened, I was there, I saw the angel, I experienced an earthquake, he's alive and so they continued to live with a disconnect. People continue to live their lives under their own way with a disconnect to the truth of the resurrection. People continue to just go on their own wives. They are disconnected from the truth. They are ignoring the impact of the resurrection in their own personal lives. Then, of course, the chief priests. And they knew the prediction that Jesus would himself would rise from the dead. They'd said in verse 63... We remember while he was still alive that the deceiver said, after three days I will rise. So they petitioned and got a guard there. Again and again they knew that Jesus talked about rising from the dead, being raised from the dead after three days being raised from the dead. And so they had this guard place there. They heard the testimony of the guards firsthand, of their dramatic and traumatic experience, that he was no longer in the tomb. So what was their reaction? So instead of saying, my goodness, we're wrong, Jesus is really the Son of God. Instead of having a revelation and finally understanding who the person of Jesus Christ was, the Son of the living God brought into this world to be the Redeemer of mankind, what did they do? They devised a plan to deceive people to ignore the truth. They devised a plan To bribe the guards so that they could avoid facing the truth. You see, I believe we can either deny the truth or rely on the truth when it comes to the resurrection. We've got to ask ourselves what's our reaction to the resurrection? Are we denying the truth? Are we allowing the truth of the resurrection to rule over our lives? Or are we seeking to do as the Pharisees and the scribes and all those people, live the lives of independence and doing your own thing and going your own way and just ignoring the truth of the resurrection, ignoring the lordship of Christ in our lives? See, it's an inconvenient truth. It was an inconvenient truth to the gods. It was an inconvenient truth to the Pharisees. And I tell you what, it's an inconvenient truth for most people who live in our society. You know, we're ignoring the truth. This morning on early morning television, they had everybody's elbow report from the AFL. We had high tackles, we had low tackles, we had missed tackles, we had dropped balls. There was no mention on the early morning news of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And yet the people who were broadcasting news were surrounded with a sea of chocolate. There was chocolate here. They were eating chocolate. There was chocolate everywhere. And I got blow by blow reports about how many weeks this poor bloke with his bunged up knees going to get. And I heard nothing about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. It's an inconvenient truth. Because it demands a response. It demands that we understand that Christ is the risen Lord and he needs to have lordship over my life. A desire for the status quo, a desire to live your own life, means that we need to deny the truth or rely on the truth. Deny the truth or rely on the truth. Their desire for the power, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people, meant that they ignored the truth. And of course, then there's the women. They went mourning in the darkness, M-O-U-R-E. N-I-N-G Morning in the darkness into a morning of great joy Verse 8 in our reading says So the women hurried away from the tomb Two responses Afraid Yet filled with joy They were afraid Because they'd encountered the angel Verse 5 says this This is what angels have to declare As soon as they turn up They have to scream out Please don't be afraid They are massive terrifying beings Verse 5 says, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. Instant reaction. Don't be afraid. Because they had just scared to death 18, 12 to 18 Roman guards who quivered and shook like dead men and ran like dogs off into the darkness. And they just sat there on the, on the stone like that. Then the women turn up and get the shock of their life. Don't be afraid. He's risen. He's on his way to Galilee. So they hurried off from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Then they had an encounter with Jesus. See, the Easter story is really, it's not just the events, it's the encounter with the risen Christ. I've got to ask you here today in truth have you encountered the risen Jesus in your personal life? Have you had your own personal meeting with the risen Jesus? Or is this just a narrative? Is this just a story that we're, oh, so, we're so familiar with it that it disarms the power of it? Jesus wants to meet us. And as Jesus called the name of Mary, he calls your name this morning. Jesus is calling your name. He wants a one-on-one with you about the importance of his resurrection. Then in other Gospels, we have the story of Peter and John and they were literally overrun with anticipation. They ran. There was a running race. Um, I've got short legs. I would have come second. Um, There was a running race. And so the lean, mean one got their first explore. They explored. They encountered the truth of the empty tomb. And that's what Easter's all about. It's about being eager. It's about running and encountering and exploring the empty tomb and its, and its implications for us. Then in other Gospels, we hear, of course, the story of Thomas, who everybody calls Doubting Thomas. Today, for all time and now on in history, I'm going to rename him. You ready? From now on, you're never to say the words. You're going to say this. Today, I wish to rename Thomas forever. He's now going to be known as Thomas the Empiricist. From now on, never again in this church shall he be known as Doubting Thomas. He's going to be known as Thomas the Empiricist. Say after me the words Thomas the Empiricist. Thomas the Empiricist. Okay. What on earth does that mean? Thomas the Empiricist. There was a philosopher called John Locke, English, 1632 to 1704, and he proposed a theory, and the theory is this. Listen. This is Thomas. Knowledge comes only or primarily from sensory experience, empiricist. Knowledge comes only from primary or sensory experience. Knowledge is based on experience. This guides scientific methodology today, people get a theory, then they actually run an experiment, a physical thing, then they gather the evidence then they make a conclusion, then they repeat the whole thing and calculate the evidence and that becomes a proof. So that is empiricism used in the modern medicine today and of course Thomas was the Bible's first empiricist. So if you learn nothing else today, when, the, when, the, when you get home and so say, what was church like? Say so it was brilliant. right? And they say, why is that? And I said, I learned something today. What did you learn? You learned that Thomas was an empiricist. And then people are going, what are you talking about? And you go, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think the preacher knew. But it sounded really good at the time. So Thomas, knowledge comes from, or, or primarily from sensory experience. Thomas is like this. He's got to have the evidence in his hands. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. He was an empiricist. He said to Thomas, Jesus at the resurrection, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believing. And then of course, there's the 500. Here's a reference here that I want you to look at. This is, you go, the, the, the who? You go, yeah, I've got the Mary thing and I've got the upper room thing and I've got all that, but the what the? The 500 that Jesus appeared to? Who? Where? What? I received what I pass on to you at the first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Do you know that? Is that a part of the Easter story? They're appearing to the 500. Most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. a euphemism for dead. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, says Paul, as one abnormally born. And so most of these living witnesses, this 500 people, some of them have fallen asleep. There's incredible solidarity of witness here. It's not just the story of the 12. It's not just the story of the women. It's not just the story of the guards. It is the story of the mass of people. They say it is impossible for 500 people to have a simultaneous delusion all at the one thing of the same thing. 500 people just gathered together and just had had a delusion and it was identical to each other. 500 people saw and witnessed Jesus Christ came alive and they were still alive. So that if people doubted, they could have called a gathering of the people that were left over. There was a massive group of people that could testify that Jesus Christ is alive. Well, what does it mean for us? What is is the implications for the resurrection? What's our response to the resurrection? First of all, I think it brings an element of confrontation Brings an element of confrontation because this, because he is risen, he is ruling and he's returning. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? For the scripture says he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. Are you ready to appear before him? Verse 32 says, When he comes in glory with his angels, sit on his throne, all the nations will be gathered before him. Humanity will be gathered before Jesus who's sitting on the throne of authority and he will separate people one from another. Family members from family members, friends from friends, colleagues from colleagues, neighbours from neighbours. People will be separated. As a shepherd separates sheep from goats, he'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. There's going to come a time when humanity will have to give an account to the risen, ruling, returning Jesus. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? There's nothing more important than a person in a person's life than they can make a decision to know Jesus Christ. So on that day, it'll be a great and glorious day. My family know that I not we're not, not keen on heights. And so I sometimes have discussion with Remington. He kind of thinks the whole thing of going up is going to be pretty awesome. I find the whole thing a little bit terrifying. You know, like we're going to meet him in the air. What's that going to look like? I don't know, but I'm a little bit scared about that. Um, what, what's all going to happen? But I'm friends, it's going to be happening. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? He is the risen, ruling and returning Lord. He is coming again. And he is going to be the ruling prince of heaven and glory. And, of course, there's tremendous comfort for us. Let's go to our next set of scriptures. All in a twinkling of an eye, all in a moment of time, all, in a sense, the last trumpet sounds. Verse 54 says to us, the perishable, that is our normal perishing cells, will be clothed with an imperishable like his resurrected body, and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying is written, which will come true, death will be swallowed up in victory. Friends, do you love Jesus? Have you met the risen Lord? I tell you what, our, our diminishing health and our frailty and our humanity, that will be pared away. We will live with Jesus in a wonderful transformed body uh, for the rest of eternity. We've got to take great comfort in this. Death has got no victory. You do not need to be afraid of being dead because you will spend eternity with Jesus. So this gives us a great comfort. It also brings us a great conviction. Look at this next set of scriptures. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is the Christian experience. Jesus living in us by his Holy Spirit. And then this is the direction and outcome of a person's life. Now, as a result, that the risen Jesus lives in me by his Holy Spirit. As a result of this, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the conviction. This is the overriding, guiding way and goal of our life that we live for Jesus. Jesus lives within us and therefore we live this life for him. Friends, are you living a life for Jesus? Is it the overriding, guiding goal of your life? To have Jesus living in you and you living for Him. That's what it means to have encountered Jesus, the resurrected Christ, in a personal way. And of course, it gives us great confidence. So there's an element of confrontation, there's an element of comfort, there's an element of conviction, and there's a tremendous element of confidence. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Hang in there. Don't chuck your faith in. We all know people that have stopped following Jesus. Yeah? Yes? We all know people that haven't gone and journeyed through to the end of their life following Christ. We need to just keep continually getting ourselves up every day, dusting ourselves off and continuing to follow Jesus faithfully right through to the very end. Hang in there. Don't quit. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love for love drives out fear because God has loved us in Christ and we have nothing to fear from God or death or judgment for we will spend eternity with him because we know the risen savior and so the resurrection of jesus has implications it's a very inconvenient truth or an incredible life-changing truth truth a truth which we could deny but a truth on which we must rely so what's your reaction What's your reaction to the risen Lord today? I think we should take a leaf out of the book of Thomas the... That was not very good. <laughs> empiricist with an E at the front. Empiricist, we got that? Let's take a, a note out of Thomas the... the who saw Jesus and said, my Lord, my God. May that be your Easter experience today.